Richard Nixon. Well, I'm not a crook. Ronald Reagan. Tear down this wall. George W. Bush. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level Roger Stone. All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Welcome. This is Roger Stone, and this is The Roger Stone Show. Right here at 77 WABC Radio, we are the crown jewel of AM radio. Now, normally we talk news, politics, history, food, style here from 4 to 6 every Sunday afternoon. We brought you some incredible guests, including President uh, Donald Trump, uh, General uh, Michael Flynn, uh, uh, Lee Greenwood, country and western superstar, uh, Congressman Byron Donalds, so many others. Uh, but today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to mix it up. Of course, we'll always talk politics. I mean, I eat, sleep, and breathe politics. Uh, but it is Christmas. Uh, and uh, we're going to open the phone lines to your questions and your comments because I want to hear about your Christmas. Now, I want to be clear, political and historical questions are always welcome, but I'd really like to hear about your favorite Christmas memory or tradition. Uh, if you want to start thinking about your question, that number is 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. We're going to start taking your questions and comments just a little bit later. But uh, if you want to start thinking about it, maybe jot down some notes, well, the time would be now. Now, to me, Christmas, I mean, other than celebrating the birth of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is about family. Maybe that's because I'm half Italian, Sicilian, actually. Uh, I'm half Italian, meaning I'm Italian from the waist down. The other half is Hungarian, I'm proud to say, which is why I was so offended when I was accused falsely of Russian collusion, because frankly, I had family members mowed down by Russian tanks in Budapest uh, in 1956. But let's face it, Christmas is also about food. See, in our family, uh, we celebrate the Feast of the Seven Fishes, which is an Italian-American tradition uh, to, that uh, starts New Year's Eve, pardon me, Christmas Eve, when Roman Catholics celebrate the midnight birth of Jesus. It's uh, known in Italian as La Viglia. Fish is a traditional ingredient in the Christmas Eve dinner because custom calls, as most Catholics know, for eschewing red meat leading up to the holiday. Though today the feast is commonly referred to as the seven fishes, I can't find anybody who actually knows uh, where the origin of that number comes from. In fact, many Italian-American homes serve upwards to ten dishes to celebrate the feast. Recipes vary from region to region, but common ingredients can include salted cod, calamar, shellfish, shrimp, which could be stewed, 
fried, sautéed, or even served raw, although I'm not into sushi. Of course, if you are likely to check the stone house, you'll find pasta because, well, everything goes better with pasta. This can lead to a long day in the kitchen. Uh, I do the kitchen eve cooking. Uh, Mrs. Stone, who is, of course, a Cuban-American, uh, although she was born in Washington, D.C., her father, Joaquin Bertrand, was a Cuban diplomat. She grew up uh, in Havana, and she's an amazing cook. So on Christmas Day, we're eating Cuban, but on Christmas Eve, well, we're eating Italian. Let me tell you very quickly uh, about the seven fishes uh, tradition here. You need to put together the seven fish sauce. Uh, I'm going to give you that recipe before the end of the show. I have to give you time to get something to write with. It's not a complicated or difficult recipe, uh, but it's one that you're going to want to try. Uh, before it's over, you'll know exactly what kind of sauce to adorn your shrimp, your squid, your clams, your mussels, your scallops, or, or maybe it's a whitefish, haddock, cod, halibut, could be any of the above. Now, you do want to remember that there's always a Christmas rush, so you want to get to the fish market, the fish monger if you have one, early. You want your ingredients to be as fresh as possible, keep it cold and over ice. But uh, the tradition of the Severn Fishes is one that we take very, very seriously. For the end of the show, again, I'm going to give you that recipe for the Severn Fishes sauce. Now, to me, Christmas is also about music. Uh, and for some reason, for me, that's about Bing Crosby. Now, young people today have no idea who that is, but Bing Crosby was Elvis before Elvis was Elvis. I get positively sentimental when I hear Dare Bingle, as he used to call himself, sing White Christmas or It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. Bing Crosby was an enormous star, born in 1903 uh, in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, he was a star not just of phonograph records and radio, but also had an enormous film acting career uh, in a duo, of course, with Bob Hope. Uh, he passed on October 14th, 1977, uh, but remains one of the most indelible stars uh, of American entertainment. This show wouldn't be right unless we spun just a little bit of Bing Crosby singing White Christmas.
supposed to be a hard-boiled political operative, but that still makes me a little misty. Speaking of that, if you're a fan of Roger Stone and the Roger Stone Show here, well, you know my first boss in politics, my mentor, was Richard Nixon. Uh, And every year in his post-presidency, after he moved from San Clemente in California back to New York City and then ultimately to Saddle River, New Jersey, He and Mrs. Nixon would go to the afternoon matinee of the Rockettes Christmas show at Radio City Music Hall. Uh, And every year, Nixon would be reduced to tears uh, at the famous nativity scene, which was a staple of that show. Uh, He literally bawled like a baby. Uh, And Nixon was a tough guy. The only other time I saw him cry was at Mrs. Nixon's funeral. So I started digging into how the other presidents handled Christmas, but I want to remind you uh, that uh, we are going to be opening the phone lines shortly at 800-848-9222. I want to hear your Christmas memories. I want to hear your Christmas traditions. Of course, politics with me is never off the table. Uh, A lot of folks uh, questioning this Colorado Supreme Court decision. We can talk uh, about that. Uh, A lot of folks want to try to understand what the Supreme Court did 
yesterday in terms of uh, special counsel Jack Smith. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, I, uh, I think there's a lot to go over there, uh, but we've got plenty of time to get to it. When you look at the former presidents, uh, it's uh, interesting uh, in that uh, some of the traditions that we take for granted by our presidents, uh, well, they were not always so. Uh, in other words, Theodore Roosevelt, for example, who was a conservationist, didn't believe uh, in chopping down trees, and therefore there was no Christmas tree in the White House from 1901 until he left the premises. Old Hickory, Andrew Jackson, was the first guy to throw an elaborate party for his grandchildren. That was back in 1835, including games, square dancing, and actually an indoor snowball fight at the White House. Benjamin Harrison was kind of a low-key guy, but he was the second guy to have a Christmas tree uh, in the White House, uh, candles, toys, ornaments for his grandchildren. When electricity was installed uh, in the White House, that was 1891, three years later, First Lady Frances Cleveland hung the first electric lights on a White House Christmas tree. Interesting, of course, that Grover Cleveland was the only president uh, in the American history to serve two non-consecutive presidential terms. In other words, Cleveland, a New Yorker like Donald Trump, was elected president. Then uh, he was defeated in a disputed bid for re-election, only to return to the White House uh, the following year, defeating Benjamin Harrison. Interesting that he had the first electric lights. Now, as I said, Theodore Roosevelt didn't approve of cutting down trees for decorations. In 1901, he banned Christmas trees from the White House. In 1903, he hosted a giant carnival for over 500 children, uh, which included ice cream, uh, which was hard to keep cold in those days. Uh, but it was later learned that Roosevelt's son, Archie, defied the no-tree policy that year and actually hid a small decorated tree in the closet uh, upstairs in the sewing room. The children of our heaviest president, William Howard Taft, are believed to be the first ones to actually put a Christmas tree in the blue room. That was in 1912, uh, the year that Taft lost re-election in a three-way race with Woodrow Wilson, the Democrat, and Theodore Roosevelt running as the bull moose, or progressive party candidate. What people don't remember is that, well, Wilson, a Democrat, came in first. Roosevelt, an independent, came in second. And, uh, well, poor old Will Taft, he came in third. The lighting of the national Christmas tree was first done by President Calvin Coolidge, uh, has been a tradition ever since then. Uh, then, of course, it was First Lady Lou Henry Hoover, Herbert Hoover's wife, first lady, uh, who began the custom of decorating the official tree in the White House. That was 1929. Franklin Roosevelt and his wife Eleanor spent 10 Christmas holidays in the White House. Uh, that's a quite a run. Uh, the first president to establish the tradition 
of leaving Washington for Christmas uh, was Harry Truman. He went back to Independence, Missouri to celebrate. Uh, the first president to mail out a Christmas card, and by the way, I got mine from President uh, and Melania Trump this week, was a great honor. I posted it online, but Dwight Eisenhower and Mamie were the first ones to mail out a Christmas card. Uh, first Lady Jacqueline Kennedy began the tradition of selecting a theme for the White House Christmas tree. Uh, she was also the first one using characters from the Nutcracker Suite. Old LBJ returned to celebrating his Christmases at the LBJ Ranch in LBJ, Texas. But in 1967, the family spent their last Christmas at the White House. The hostage crisis in, in Iran dominated the holiday celebrations in 1979 and 1980. In 1979, the National Christmas Tree and 50 trees around it, uh, each with a single light, one standing for each of the individual American hostages. President Jimmy Carter promised to turn on the rest of the lights when the hostages were freed, but because he was defeated by Ronald Reagan, uh, he never had the opportunity to do that. Folks, if you're just tuning in, this is The Roger Stone Show, uh, and we're going to be here for uh, all the way till 6 o'clock, actually, uh, and we've opened the phone lines to take your questions. We can talk about Christmas. We can talk about politics. We can talk about history. We can certainly talk about food. I'm always up for that. But now would be a great time for you just to take a minute to go to the App Store and download the 77 WABC Radio app. Uh, that way you don't miss any of the incredible programming we have here at 77 WABC. Whether it is uh, uh, Larry Kudlow, the, the man who quarterbacked the revival of the American economy under President Donald Trump, or my old friend Dominic Carter, uh, no one has a better finger on the pulse of New York. Uh, Curtis Sliwa and his uh, constant uh, articulate criticism of New York's uh, current mayor. Uh, uh, Sid Rosenberg in the morning, uh, who's eclectic and always interesting. There's great, great programming here, not to mention late night with my buddy Frank Morano. You don't want to miss any of it, folks, so please go now and download that 77 WABC radio app right to your cell phone. Uh, it allows you, by the way, if you miss the Roger Stone show for whatever reason, and let's face it, it's Christmas Eve. I can understand how folks might be busy tonight. Well, uh, you get a chance to go back and listen to the show later. Take a minute to download the app. Uh, the White House observance for Christmas really didn't become a, 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 an official event until the 20th century. I actually found out that first families decorated their homes modestly with greens, but basically their celebrations were private. The first White House Christmas tree decorated with toys and candles didn't happen until 1889, and as I said, that was under Benjamin Harrison uh, and his family. Uh, but it's a very magical time. Uh, I thought Melania Trump did an extraordinary job uh, in her efforts uh, to, uh, to bring a, a level of culture and class 
to the White House decorations. Unfortunately, she got roundly trashed, but, well, I think that's politics. While we're at it, why was Melania Trump one of the most elegant, cultured, educated, decent, kindest women I've ever met, and I've known her since 1988? How is it uh, that she was never on the cover of Vogue. Really extraordinary. Once again, folks, we're going to open up the phone lines here. Uh, we've already got a pretty good queue, uh, but uh, that's 800-848-9222. Your question can pertain to politics, uh, history, but I'd really like to hear some of your Christmas memories. Uh, I, I'm big on tradition. They say a lot of people are depressed at Christmas time. Well, if that's the case, well then, maybe we could cheer you up a little bit right here on the Roger Stone Show. And again, I want to remind you, uh, if you're interested in the special sauce that we use for the seven fishes on Christmas Eve, well, before the end of the show, I'm going to give you that recipe. So uh, you might want to get a pen and paper now. Uh, so you're ready for that. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Christmas came early for Donald Trump this year. Uh, you'd have to be living under a rock uh, not to have heard uh, about the decision by the Colorado State Supreme Court, uh, which uh, had the effect or it may have the effect of banning Donald Trump uh, from that state's ballot. I had the opportunity late in the week to talk to John Katzmatidis and Rita Cosby as well as Ed Cox on the Katz and Cosby show about this, but uh, it's a complicated issue that takes just a few minutes to unpack, but here we go. You see, uh, the argument is that Trump cannot appear on the ballot in Colorado uh, because he is guilty of insurrection against the United States. There's only one small problem. In no court of law anywhere has he been charged with or convicted of insurrection. Now, the Trump team will imminently file an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. In the meantime, the Colorado State Supreme Court's ruling uh, was actually stayed by the court themselves until January 4th, 2024. And it will remain that way pending the result of the appeal to the Supreme Court. So what happened last week, folks, was really a toothless ruling. In other words, the only two ways uh, in which Donald Trump will no longer be able to appear on the ballot uh, is uh, whether the Supreme Court uh, decides to take his appeal or if it, uh, probably does not take his appeal, or if it affirms the Colorado state decision. So let me stress, this was a four to three ruling in Colorado's Supreme Court, and they have issued what I think is a precedented breaking decision that represents nothing less than an outright suppression of President Donald Trump's due process rights, uh, his right to run for president, uh, and it also disenfranchises the people of Colorado. Now, let me point out this same maneuver uh, has 
been tried uh, by those uh, who want to stop Trump at all costs in Michigan, uh, Minnesota, uh, Rhode Island, Arizona, New Hampshire, uh, and Florida, uh, and has lost in court in all of those places. Uh, it was even reaffirmed the decision not to uh, bar him from the ballot was reaffirmed by the Michigan Supreme Court. The Colorado case is uh, fueled uh, by a, an all-Democrat Supreme Court. Uh, every single appointee on the court appointed to this partisan bench. But it's interesting that it only passed by a four to three margin. So incredibly, if you read the dissents, they're really extraordinary. For example, uh, Democrat Judge Samor says in their uh, uh, dissent, uh, I've been involved in the justice system for 33 years now, and what took place here doesn't resemble anything I've ever seen in a courtroom. The judge went on to say, there was no fair trial here. President Trump was not offered the opportunity to request a jury of his peers. Experts opined about some opinions surrounding the January 6th incident and theorized about the law, including as it relates to the interpretation and application of the 14th Amendment generally and Section 3 specifically. And the court received and considered a partial congressional report, the admissibility of which is not beyond reproach. Again, I stress twofold. President Donald Trump has not been convicted of any crime. Uh, and also, this decision is a clear violation of not only his rights, but the rights of the American people. There's one other minor problem, uh, and that is uh, that the act itself, the amendment itself, says uh, that this applies only to officers of the United States. This was, as we probably heard, originally written to ban those in the Confederacy who, during the Civil War, uh, uh, rose up and took up arms against the United States. But it very specifically does not apply to the president based on a Supreme Court precedent. So it's election interference writ large. I suspect that those who will go to any cost to stop Donald Trump uh, from being president uh, will uh, have overplayed their hand. That's why, because every lawyer I talk to, those that I have confidence in, uh, tell me that they believe that the Supreme Court will strike this down. And let me stress, they must do so before January 5th when the ballots are printed. Does anyone actually believe that any of this would be happening if President Donald Trump was not leading in the polls, was not leading uh, not only overwhelmingly, now hitting 70 percent, that's right, 70 percent in the latest polls today, uh, but also uh, leading Joe Biden both in the swing states uh, and uh, nationally. So uh, I actually think that they have badly, badly overplayed their hand. I want to remind you that we're going to take your questions here momentarily uh, at 800-848-9222. 
uh, you want to grab that app from the App Store, uh, if you can, for the 77 WABC radio app. And now I'm clearing the deck to take your questions, whether it's about Christmas, the traditions of your family, uh, your fondest Christmas memories, or, as I'm sure so many have, uh, a political question. This is The Roger Stone Show. You're at the right place. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. Welcome back. It's the Roger Stone Show right here at 77 WABC Radio. Uh, I can't tell you, folks, how excited I am. I'm eating Italian tonight. I'm eating Cuban tomorrow. Mrs. Stone makes a mean roast pork, uh, black beans, white rice, the Maduros, uh, the plantains. It's going to be amazing. Definitely going to have to go on a diet because some of these 30-year-old custom-made suits that I have made, well, they're getting a little snug. So I either got to hit the gym harder or I got to cut back on the carbs be tough to cut back on the martinis, but I should probably do that too. All right, folks, we're going to start taking your calls. Again, that number, 848 uh, 800-848-9222. Andrew uh, in Stanhope, uh, you've got the floor. Yeah, you got me hungry already. My mom's Italian, so I'm going to pass the seven fishes sauce recipe on to her. And I want to say for um, Trump, a great little one-liner joke. Similar to the Rosie O'Donnell, only when he does the funny impression of Biden lost trying to leave the stage, Trump should end by saying, thank God for that Easter bunny. Because <laughs> infamously, the Easter bunny had to, you know, rescue Biden. And also for, I was good news to hear that he wants to do a rally in the Bronx, because I know in predominantly African-American communities, Trump would be a huge hit. His rallies would go wild. And he can list all his accomplishments, prison reform, overruling what Biden did in the 90s, and school choice for inner city kids that are getting bad education from the Democrats and funding of black businesses, eight uh, platinum plans. So all those things, like he actually has a track record, so he would be have a massive success and he could call it the you ain't black rally. Uh, I, look, I think it's a great year uh, idea. People won't remember this, but uh, at the behest of New York Republican Chairman George L. Clark Jr., uh, Ronald Reagan uh, challenging Jimmy Carter in 1980, we decided to do a rally in the South Bronx. A lot of people thought we were crazy, but it was an enormous success. Uh, if you look at these latest polls, 
And we're going to talk a little bit about polling today. Uh, you see that, that Trump is making real uh, significant uh, inroads uh, among both African-American and uh, Latino voters. Now, uh, this election is going to be so close that even incremental gains in those communities are significantly, extraordinarily significant. I'm not suggesting that when the 2024 election is held, that President Donald Trump will get a majority of the African-American community or that uh, he will get a majority of Hispanics, both of whom, uh, since the Great Depression, uh, are traditionally uh, Democratic voters. It's interesting. Uh, African-American voters in the United States from the Civil War until 1932 were the most reliable Republican voters in the country. More black voters voted for Herbert Hoover than voted for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It wasn't until the social programs and the Great Depression and the social programs of the New Deal, uh, followed by Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, uh, that black voters became a more traditional democratic voter. But with the rise of a black middle class uh, and uh, black voters sharing the exact same concerns as all voters, uh, I think you're right that if Trump will talk more about his criminal justice reform record, uh, specifically uh, the First Step Act, the Second Chance Act, uh, and that it was Donald Trump who essentially walked back the first-time nonviolent mandatory penalties for possession of small amounts of drugs uh, that were was written by Senate Judiciary Chairman Joe Biden and signed into law by Bill Clinton, a law that, in my opinion, has unjustly incarcerated hundreds and hundreds of thousands of black people and poor people uh, and Hispanic people. Uh, and uh, uh, it is a great injustice. I think uh, that Trump needs to talk more about that. Uh, I hope he will do so. But I also recognize that a rising tide lifts all boats, as my friend Larry Kudlow will say. Look at look at uh, black unemployment uh, during the Trump years. It hit the lowest level since they began keeping that statistic. It was also true of Hispanic uh, Americans, Asian Americans, older Americans, younger Americans, urban, rural. Uh, we had the most robust economy uh, in our history under President Donald Trump. Uh, and as my old adversary, James Carville, used to say, it's the economy, stupid. Uh, they can tout Bidenomics, but the people aren't feeling it. That I can tell you. Uh, I did some of the Christmas shopping for the Cuban extravaganza that Mrs. Stone is going to whip up tomorrow. Uh, and I'm blown away uh, at the cost of basic groceries, if, by the way, you can find them, because they're out uh, of a lot of things. Anyway, Andrew, I agree with you. I hope uh, that the uh, that the Trump campaign will spend more money uh, reaching out to the urban community, reaching out to African-American voters. Uh, I think there is a great opportunity there uh, that can be made on the basis of his previous record. Uh, and then the platinum plan 
that he put forward, which was a plan for black economic empowerment, kind of built on Richard Nixon's black capitalism plan, uh, I think is very attractive uh, to, uh, to those voters. Thank you so much uh, for your call. Jacqueline in Brooklyn, welcome to the Roger Stone Show. Hi, Roger. Um, just want to wish you, first of all, a Merry Christmas, a happy, healthy, uh, prosperous, and most importantly, a blessed Christmas. Uh, I'm also of the Italian ancestry, and we used to do, not the seven fishes, but it was always fish traditionally on Christmas Eve. Um, and what I'd like to ask you, I'm uh, planning on having a, a fish dinner this evening, but I'd like to have a ribeye steak dinner tomorrow. And I've been trying to find a restaurant, a fine restaurant in Manhattan that would be open on Christmas Day, hopefully not too close to Rockefeller Center. Uh, and I'm having a problem finding one, so I'm wondering if you can suggest someplace. Uh, it's a tough question, of course, uh, because uh, I'm not physically there, although I am there in spirit. To me, the best steakhouse uh, in New York City is still Sparks. Uh, of course, I'm always afraid that somebody's going to try to whack me uh, when I come out the door. Uh, uh, on a serious note, I used to like Pietro's. I don't think, I'm not even sure they're even still in business. Uh, but uh, let me know, Jacqueline, if you if you find the spot you're looking for. Uh, I'll take mine uh, rare plus with a nice char on the outside. Thank you so much, Jacqueline, for your question. Uh, and as uh, my favorite, my uh, fellow Italian-American, God bless you and Godspeed and Merry Christmas. All right, uh, Frank uh, in, in New York. Frank, uh, uh, go right ahead. Well, first of all, buona Natale, uh, my friend. Uh, thank you for taking my call. And uh, I was just curious if you think, I hope you will be, having a major role in President Trump's run in 2024. Well, uh, I'm a volunteer, uh, to be quite honest with you. I'm uh, strongly supporting uh, the president. I'm working with uh, a number of his staff people. I must tell you, I'm a, I'm a veteran of 13 national Republican presidential campaigns. Uh, I'm also pretty opinionated. Uh, I think President Trump is running one of the most efficient, one of the most uh, effective, uh, one of the, uh, the most uh, uh, well-organized uh, presidential campaigns in modern history. Uh, I have an extraordinarily high regard uh, for his chief of staff, Susie Wiles, who is a woman I've known for over 30 years. Uh, she really serves kind of as the co-campaign manager with uh, Chris LaCivita, who's a, a veteran of national politics. He's, 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 a, he's a great uh, political mechanic. He's a great uh, political organizer, but he's also a great political strategist uh, in his own right. So uh, they've just brought on a new national political director, James Blair, for whom I have an extraordinarily high regard. You notice how the campaign unlike 2016, unlike 2020, does not leak. There are no leaks. So if you've heard this story, and I'm sure you have, uh, that uh, according to CBS, uh, two people in the know say that Donald Trump is actively considering Nikki Haley to be his vice presidential running mate. 
This is what is commonly known as BS. Uh, I checked personally. There is no truth to this. Uh, first of all, if the president has a short list of vice presidential candidates, so far he's kept it to himself, hasn't shared it with me. I don't know anyone on the staff that he has shared it with, but his focus right now is winning the Iowa caucuses, then winning the New Hampshire primary, then sweeping South Carolina and Nevada, uh, and then hopefully by then, all of these pretenders who are really wasting their time and money uh, will fold. This is uh, really quite extraordinary. Now, there is a bandwagon effect in politics, uh, and that's important to recognize. So if, as I expect, Nikki Haley comes in a very distant second in Iowa, uh, Trump beats her, let's say, by 30, 40, 50 points. Uh, but she beats Governor Ron DeSantis, who everybody thought, based on expectation levels, was actually going to be at least second and might even challenge Trump for victory in Iowa. The story, as put forward by the fake news media, will be Trump won as expected, uh, but the big winner tonight is Nikki Haley, the establishment candidate who came in ahead of Ron DeSantis. See how that works? Uh, and then you pick up the bandwagon effect, what George Bush once inartfully referred to as the Big Mo, uh, some momentum going into New Hampshire. New Hampshire, where Donald Trump's lead is equally solid and equally durable. Now, there's a poll out this week uh, which shows the race uh, in New Hampshire with just a 14-point gap uh, President Trump and former U.N. Ambassador uh, and South Carolina Governor uh, Nikki Haley. I've looked at the methodology of that poll, uh, and folks, I must tell you, it's it's bunk. It, it's just not accurate. Uh, again, uh, I said this, and it gets twisted, but Americans are poll crazy. I understand that. Uh, politics is a contact sport in this country. People follow politics the way they follow sports. But it's always a mistake to, to focus on any one poll, <clears throat> regardless of how august or respectable the pollster or the polling organization may be. Uh, a poll can, can be manipulated to get a desired result. Uh, you do that by uh, fiddling with the, the sample size so it's not large enough or it's not truly representative of the subset of voters you're trying to measure. Uh, say we'll have too many Democrats or too many Republicans or too many women or too many younger people, whatever it may be. Uh, also, you can cook a poll by the wording of the questions. You can have the questions so that they are loaded. Uh, to get a desired result. Now, what happens is supporters of Ron DeSantis run out and say, ah, you see, Roger Stone just said all of the polls are rigged. It's not what I said, not even remotely what I said. What I said is, if, you, if you're interested in this, you need to study the methodology of the polls. Let's take New York Times, Siena College. Uh, I, there is no question uh, that that is a, a, a well 
uh, conducted poll using solid methodology or the Harris Harvard poll. So what I do is I go to real clear politics and you get the daily polling average when eight or nine polls show a similar result uh, and one poll stands out showing something entirely different. Uh, well, uh, that's called an outlier. It's also called a trend. So uh, don't buy into this uh, uh, this idea that Nikki Haley is pressing Donald Trump in New Hampshire. Uh, I see that Governor uh, Chris Sununu uh, is pushing that. I know his father still living, John Sununu. John Sununu lied to Bob Dole uh, and to Congressman Jack Kemp and to me for over 18 months uh, he told us that he had no commitment to Vice President George Bush, looked me right in the eye and said it. I always thought his eyes were kind of close together. Uh, but uh, the late Lee Atwater told me uh, before his death that uh, Sununu was committed to Bush that entire time. Uh, if your word's no good in politics, what do you really have? So, Frank, uh, thank you so much for your call. Probably got a little more politics there than you bargained for, but I appreciate your calling in. Folks, again, our number, uh, 800-848-9222. Uh, your questions uh, pertaining to uh, Christmas, Christmas traditions, your favorite Christmas. Uh, if, you're, if you are depressed uh, this holiday season, well, we want to hear from you too. Maybe we can cheer you up. So whether you are celebrating Christmas or whether you and your family are celebrating Hanukkah, uh, I'm proud to have you here listening to The Roger Stone Show, uh, and we welcome your calls where the lines are open. Tim in Tennessee, welcome to The Roger Stone Show. Hey, Roger. First off, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thank you, brother. So I, I, I just want to ask you, like, you've been one of the most effective and hated men in American politics for a very long time. What's been your motivation to keep fighting and keep moving forward? Because you're really the example of that. Well, I, I thank you for that uh, honest uh, observation. Look, I'm a very polarizing guy. I believe in doing everything short of breaking the law uh, to help my candidate. And, and I've always said that. Now, uh, you know, they say, oh, you're a dirty trickster. Well, uh, I've never called myself that, even though you'll read everywhere. Stone is a self-proclaimed dirty trickster. No, uh, it's not so. Democrats have called me that. That's usually after they lose. But I'll tell you this. If I am a dirty trickster, it takes one to see one. Uh, and the decision by the Obama-Biden administration to use the full legal authority of the United States government based on evidence that they knew was fabricated, the Steele dossier, uh, to launch an investigation, uh, appoint a special counsel uh, to try to remove Donald Trump from the White House when he had been duly elected is the single greatest dirty trick uh, in American political history. While we're at it, uh, unfortunately, John Durham, in his report, which took him five years to write, had to wait until the statute of limitations on Hillary Clinton and others were up so that no one like uh, James Comey or John Brennan, the CIA director, uh, could get uh, prosecuted. Uh, 
not only proved that the Steele dossier was a fraud, but sadly it never addressed the question of the alleged online hack of the Democratic National Committee, allegedly by Russian intelligence. That's because the federal government and our intelligence agencies have no proof of that, period. Never happened. Uh, in fact, uh, the FBI admitted at my trial that they never examined the computer servers at the DNC. Uh, and that, that was left to a private company called CrowdStrike. Uh, and that the head of CrowdStrike, a man named Sean Henry, who just coincidentally happens to have been a deputy to Robert Mueller, who was the special counselor, but he was his deputy back when he was the FBI director, testified under oath before the House Intelligence Committee that his examination and report of the Democratic National Committee's computer servers contained no proof whatsoever that they were the subject uh, of an online hack. Just this week, there are some media reports that sources around Julian Assange have confirmed uh, that Seth Rich, who was a Democratic National Committee uh, staffer uh, who was uh, sadly and brutally murdered, uh, was allegedly, I say allegedly, uh, the person because he was a Bernie Sanders supporter, unhappy about the DNC's role in stealing the nomination for Hillary Clinton, spirited the computer files onto a hard drive and out the back door. I suspect we're going to hear more about that uh, in the coming weeks. It's a developing story. To address your question directly, Tim, first of all, I stay in the fight because uh, I love my country. Uh, and there have been times when it hasn't been easy. It was Richard Nixon who said, the greatness comes not when things go always good for you, but when you take some knocks, you suffer some defeats, when sadness comes. Because until one has been in the deepest valley, one cannot appreciate the majesty of the highest mountaintop. It was also Nixon who said, uh, a man is not finished when he is defeated. He is only finished when he quits. Well, when it comes to our constitutional freedoms and my love of this country, I will never quit. Tim, thank you so much uh, for your call. Charles in Queens, welcome to the Roger Stone Show. Yeah, hi, hi, Mr. Roger Stone. First, I want to commend you on I've been listening the last three or four weeks to your show. Really fantastic show, full of it's replete with uh, interesting details, full of knowledge, and I also love your style of delivery. Um, what I want to ask is, obviously, President Biden suffers from uh, cognitive impairment as well as cognitive dissonance. I mean, he's financing both wars, the one in Ukraine, by, um, by us not producing oil. Russia is able to finance the war with oil, oil money. And uh, then we give $100 billion plus to um, Ukraine. And in the Middle East, <laughs> by giving the $6 billion, the $10 billion, and, and letting um, the sanctions go as far as uh, Iran to sell oil to China and get rich, and then he finances... Uh, hopefully, will finance Israel as well. My question is, 
with this all this cognitive dissonance, what how what do you see? I value your opinion highly, very much. How do you see Biden? Will he let Israel do what it has to do? Make them suffer along the way by lying about indiscriminate bombing and stuff like that, and and humanitarian aid, which all goes to Hamas and so on and so forth. How do you see the ending in the Middle East war? Well, it seems to me that this administration has a schizophrenic uh, uh, approach. We appear to be financing both sides of the war. Look, first of all, I'm a supporter of Israel. No question about it. They're the only reliable ally that we have uh, in the region. They actually are a democracy. Uh, we give them $1.5 billion a year in aid. Uh, but let's be honest, they go back to the United States and spend a lot of that with defense contractors here. So it's still benefiting and creating jobs in the United States. Uh, but at the same time, it just seems to me extraordinarily naive for the Biden administration to first unfreeze $6 billion of assets for Iran, now to unfreeze, according to the Wall Street Journal, another $100 billion uh, in assets for Iran. It takes you back to the uh, the naivete, or maybe the, the plan, the specific purposeful plan of the Obama administration uh, to pay millions of dollars to Iran, both on and off the books, We're talking about pallets of cash, folks, uh, with this idea that the Iranians can be trusted not to use it to develop nuclear weapons which are capable of destroying the world. Uh, in this case, I can't believe that we are unfreezing assets for Iran and uh, also sending $100 million directly for humanitarian aid to Hamas, which it was confirmed this week was largely stolen. Uh, and think that we are going to uh, end this conflict. Uh, meanwhile, it appears to me uh, that because largely because of domestic politics, because Muslim voters are absolutely key in a number of uh, states uh, and swing counties, Michigan being a perfect example, uh, this administration seems to want to limit uh, the response of Israel, tell Israel, who uh, they can attack, when they can attack, what weapons they can use, when they are defending themselves. So uh, I can't tell which side this administration is on, but I don't think it's a mistake. Uh, I think it is purposeful. Uh, and uh, the sad part is that Donald Trump really had uh, the squeeze on Iran. He had cut off their oil production. He had sanctions against them, so nobody was buying oil from them. They couldn't get the cash to finance terrorism, finance Hamas, finance Hezbollah, or finance their development of nuclear weapons uh, until Joe Biden took his foot off their throat. It's one of the strongest reasons I think we need Donald Trump back in the White House uh, is because he is the peace candidate, uh, whether it is in the Middle East or whether it is in the Russian-Ukrainian uh, uh, conflict, I think Donald Trump could relatively quickly uh, negotiate peace uh, in both those places. It'd be much tougher in the Middle East because in dealing with Hamas uh, or Hezbollah, they're not interested in peace. 
they're interested in killing Jews and Americans and destroying Israel. And they have no intention of compromising those goals. That's why, that's why letting them have the flow of money from Iran is so extraordinarily dangerous. Charles, thank you for calling the show. Uh, folks, again, that number, uh, 800-848-9222. We're going to be taking more of your questions. Uh, this is The Roger Stone Show, and we will be right back. So get your call on deck now. have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Richard Nixon. Well, I'm not a crook. Ronald Reagan. Tear down this wall. George W. Bush. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level. Roger Stone. All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Roger Stone. And this is The Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC Radio. We're taking your calls today. Well, I like the two-way dialogue. Uh, we're focusing not only on politics, because, well, why else would you tune into the Roger Stone Show? But I'm also here to talk about Christmas, your fondest and favorite memories or your family traditions. Or if you're one of those folks, and I think there are many who get depressed around the holiday time, well, maybe we can cheer you up. That number, 800-848-9222. Happy to take your calls. Let's uh, go to Nate in the Bronx. Nate, welcome to the Roger Stone Show. Uh, Yes, good afternoon, Roger. Uh, So basically, uh, before I get to my main comment, uh, you talk about Christmas and uh, the traditions uh, that it represents the birth of Christ, uh, Christianity, the traditional American culture, now we celebrate it. Uh, you know, nothing represents uh, more, I think, than the attack on uh, our culture, and our civilization, and our cultural mores than uh, attacks on Christmas. You know, it's hard when you go to a convenience store or a, a, a pharmacy and you try to find something that says Merry Christmas, it's always season's greetings, a bland, generic 
uh, card as opposed to something that celebrates Christmas because you know it's an, it's part of the attack on our culture, larger attack with this uh, CRT and transgender propaganda being taught to our kids. So that being said, uh, to get a better understanding of what is behind these left wing political ideologies, it's a great book. It's called The Culture of Critique by Dr. Kevin McDonald. It goes into critical theory. It goes into feminism. It goes into mass immigration, all the different uh, left-wing ideologies that are really literally destroying this republic. And I think it's a very fascinating read. So again, that's the culture critique by Dr. Kevin McDonald. Now, I want to get to immigration very briefly. Um, so pretty much under Biden so far uh, in his administration, you're talking about anywhere between three and five million illegal apprehensions at the border. God knows how many people have actually slipped through that the border to patrol did not catch. Uh, so it's simply not a sustainable situation in any stretch of the imagination. Uh, first of all, economically, you know, some people say that, you know, like in New York City, that's if the migrants, as long as the migrants are working, it's not a problem. Wrong. It is not uh, an okay situation if they're, if, as long as they're working. Because even when they're working, they're still hurting the economy. Here's how. Uh, migrants, wherever they're from, whether Mexico, India, whatever the case may be, they send billions, tens of billions of dollars home to their home countries in the form of remittances, which puts a big hole in our balance of payments, which affects our currency, which affects our economic strength and foreign investment. There are a number of things that go. It has a ripple effect throughout the economy that is negative. So that's number one, the remittances that are drawn out of our economy and sent overseas to the developing world. Number two, the pressure that it puts on wages, downward pressure that it puts on wages. When you have something that's in short, uh, excuse me, when you have something that's in abundant supply, but for the de demand for that thing remains constant or even is declining, what happens to the price of that uh, commodity? It sinks like a rock in a pond. And that's what you have right now. And some of the people who are most affected by illegal immigration are the people who are struggling to get a toehold on the economic ladder, socioeconomic ladder. I'm talking about blacks and Hispanics themselves, ironically enough. Enough. Some of the most stalwart constituencies for the Democratic Party. Because uh, who do you think is going to be in competition for those low-wage, uh, unskilled jobs? Uh, who's, who's going to be in competition for the social benefits uh, that many of these people rely on? Again, people in the inner cities. Uh, so, again, with, they're going to be competing with migrants that are going to be looking for the same jobs and the same benefits that they look at as an economic lifeline. So that's uh, number one. And also with regard to inflation, uh, you know, after all, the migrants have to have some place to live, don't they? So, again, housing price inflation, uh, basic consumer staples inflation, all of, this thing, all of these things are going to be exacerbated by having untold millions of people coming into the country unlimited and unregulated. So, again, you're looking at a deleterious situation all around, and it's not being addressed by either party. And you mentioned Ronald Reagan. Now, Ronald Reagan had some very, uh, you know, very laudable things that he did during his administration. But one thing is completely regrettable is the amnesty that he voted, that he uh, signed into law in 1986, which authorized uh, or legalized millions of uh, illegal aliens that crossed in. Now, the amnesties don't put an end to illegal immigration. It simply encourages more illegal immigration to come into the United States.
So again, you know, you're looking at a situation that's simply untenable. Neither party is addressing it adequately. And I think it very well might uh, necessitate a third party. Uh, so I'll wrap up again. Uh, if you really want to get uh, more plenary or a full understanding of the assault on our culture uh, and in the assault on our institutions, please do find and read that book, The Culture of Critique by Dr. Kevin McDonald. Thank All you, right. Mr. Stone. Uh, Nate, great call. Uh, you know, it's funny that uh, when he ran for president in 2016, uh, Donald Trump openly said, you know, we don't say Merry Christmas anymore, and we need to. Uh, little did he know that we were just at, at that point kind of in the beginning of seeing how complete the effort is to erase our history, our heritage, our culture, uh, and everything that made America great. Uh, Trump has, uh, I think, effectively used this uh, as an issue. Uh, you're right, you have uh, the Biden administration where Secretary Mayorkas continues to say with a straight face that our border is secure, as if we can't go on TV or cable and see the video of the uh, tens of thousands. Now, the latest number I saw was 10 million estimated illegals who have entered the country. And uh, I see them here in my own community. Uh, I, I talked to a friend in Oklahoma yesterday who says some of these small towns, towns of 200, 300 people, suddenly have a presence of illegals. Uh, they have n no place to work. Uh, they are living on government-issued uh, temporary credit cards. They all have cell phones. Uh, it is resulting in a, uh, a rising crime problem across the country. Uh, people should not be about uh, at all naive, Nate, about the threat uh, of exactly what you're talking about. Thank you so much for calling. Uh, Bob in New York City says he wants to share a Christmas memory. Hey, Roger. Are you there? I'm here. Thanks for joining the Roger okay. Stone Show. Okay, my dad and my mom are passed away, and my my dad told me about you. So, so here's, I'm 74 years old. So 70 years ago, <clears throat> I was the only child. My, my sister and my brother were not born yet. But my parents were in a a double family brick house in East Norwalk. So you know where East Norwalk, Connecticut is? Of course, that's where I was born and where I grew up. Yeah, it was gorgeous back then. So so my dad had a rope and he uh, he attached these like um pieces of wood onto the rope, a bunch of them and sleigh bells. And I and they made me sleep up in the attic where it was their bedroom because Santa Claus is not going to come if you're awake. And my dad threw this rope with pieces of wood and sleigh bells. And when I heard that, I must have I must have like went to sleep like in three seconds. Isn't well, that so cool? That is, that is very cool. I was born in the Norwalk Hospital. Uh, I uh, grew up in Norwalk. I got my political start in Norwalk. Here's what's interesting. In 1965, in Norwalk, Connecticut, the makeup of the city of Norwalk was identical of the socioeconomic uh, and ethnic makeup uh, of the United States. 
So the city of Norwalk had the same uh, number of uh, of African Americans, the same number of Hispanics, the same number of uh, of uh, Caucasians, the same number of Catholics, the same number of Protestants, the same number of Jews, uh, the the same. Uh, statistical number of older people, younger people, and so on. It was a perfect microcosm of the United States. It was also a swing city. In other words, it was it, it leaned very slightly Republican, uh, but it was not a reliably Republican city. Uh, and therefore, uh, if you knew how to elect a mayor, well, that's how I learned how to elect a president. So I'm proud of my Connecticut roots. People say, well, wait a minute, Stone, you keep saying you're Italian, but Stone doesn't sound very Italian to me. The family name is Corbo, C-O-R-B-O. Uh, we believe it's a bastardization of Corvo, uh, and that our people are from the town of Corvo uh, in Sicily, uh, and I am proud of it. So some clerk in Ellis Island invented out of thin air the name Stone, and while I appreciate it because it fits on a bumper sticker and it's uh, memorable, uh, it, it doesn't really tell you uh, about my very proud ethnicity. I'm also half Hungarian, so even this time of year, I miss the, the stuffed cabbage, I miss the chicken paprikash, I particularly miss these great Hungarian pastries my, my grandmother and my great-grandmother used to make. Uh, really makes me feel wistful this time of year. Uh, thank you so much uh, for your call. Uh, Karim uh, in New York City, you have a question. Hi, Roger. Always a pleasure. Merry Christmas to you and Mrs. Stone. Uh, my uh, question is, I'm sorry to take you off the, uh, the uh, all the Christmas memories. It's political. Um, it's uh, related to the situation in Colorado. Uh, uh, many people are very anxious to know uh, where you think this is going to go? Do you think we're going to be successful in the Supreme Court and get President Trump back on the ballot in Colorado? And on the uh, other side, with uh, all these movements to get Joe Biden taken off of ballots in Arizona, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, or, uh, and uh, Georgia, do you think there's going to be much success with that at all? Uh, look, the problem here for the Democrats is that their legal claims... Uh, in Colorado are baseless. Trump has not been convicted of sedition uh, or insurrection. Uh, and then secondarily, the way the 14th Amendment, uh, Article 3, Section 3, uh, is worded, it specifically does not apply to the president or a candidate for the president. It's a flawed case. Uh, and Trump has no conviction uh, for insurrection. So it would be like my saying, well... Based on the uh, the reports of the Republican Oversight Committee in the House, we can clearly see the paper trail of money that went to Joe Biden uh, from uh, from Ukraine, from the Ukrainian energy company, uh, and therefore that, in my opinion, my opinion is a high crime and misdemeanor uh, that makes him ineligible to be president, uh, and therefore he should be banned from the Florida ballot. Uh, that's not my position, by the way. Uh, I believe in having a free, fair, honest, transparent election. Uh, but I, I think the people should vote for the candidates uh, of their choice. 
and have the opportunity to vote for the candidates of their choice, uh, recognize the Colorado decision would not just take Trump theoretically off the general election ballot, it would take him off the Republican primary ballot. Now, the Colorado Republican Party has already announced uh, since the method in which delegates are selected to the national convention for the purposes of selecting a presidential candidate is not governed by state or federal law. It is governed by the party's own rules. The party can decide that the primary is non-binding. Uh, it's a beauty contest. Uh, and the delegates are actually going to be elected uh, in a caucus in which President Trump and anybody else who wants to run can stand as a candidate. Uh, at the end of the day, I think that those folks at Crew, which is uh, not a bipartisan good government ethics operation, is a left-wing front organization that is desperate to stop Donald Trump from returning to the White House, has overplayed their hand. Uh, let me point it out again. They already tried this uh, in Michigan, uh, in New Hampshire, uh, in Florida, uh, in Minnesota, and the courts there have all rejected it. Uh, specifically, uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith uh, considered charging Donald Trump with insurrection in D.C., did not do so. Uh, certainly has not yet gotten a conviction. Uh, and his efforts to speed the trial really kind of shows their hand. In other words, aren't we, are we interested in justice or are we interested in speed? So the purpose of trying to have a trial in March of next year, specifically March 4th, the day before the Super Tuesday primary in which the largest number of delegates will be selected to the Republican National Convention uh, shows that this is all about politics, that, that they want to fast-track this trial because they know it will drain money from Donald Trump, it will drain resources from Donald Trump, Donald Trump uh, may or may not be gagged in that trial, the courts are yet to decide that, very clear that Jack Smith uh, and the judge uh, are going to seek to gag him so that he cannot defend himself in those proceedings. Uh, this is ab about winning an election that right now they are losing, and they know that they're losing. By the way, I'm not the only one saying this. The editorial page of the old gray lady, the, the New York Times themselves recognized in an editorial the political motivation behind this attempt uh, to speed up the proceeding. Uh, so did uh, CNN, uh, and one of the commentators there who's one of my least favorite people on earth. So uh, I think that their motives are naked. For those who don't, who haven't followed this, or who maybe don't yet understand it, uh, Jack Smith, the special counsel, uh, when the let's back up. Donald Trump argued in front of the trial judge in D.C. that because of his status uh, as president, he was immune to prosecution for acts taken during his presidency. The judge uh, uh, ruled against him. Trump announced his intention to appeal that to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, whereupon Special Counsel Jack Smith then dove in and said he wants to bypass the Court of Appeals and go directly to the Supreme Court. 
in other words, anticipating the fact that if Trump loses at the Circuit Court of Appeals, which given the makeup of that court is very likely, that Trump himself would go right to the Supreme Court. But seems like Mr. Smith is concerned that that process, which is called due process, will take too long. Uh, and the Supreme Court, uh, which I think is incredibly unpredictable, uh, rejected that effort to fast-track the trial. So uh, I don't think uh, that you're going to see a trial. I think it is highly unlikely that you will see a trial uh, before the election. But, uh, look, I'm not a lawyer and I'm hardly an expert. Uh, I study this like everyone else. Uh, I just have the advantage of having been 13 through 13 national presidential elections, and I've never seen anything like this. This is called lawfare. What, what is Trump's crime again? What did he steal? Oh, he didn't steal anything. He, he questioned the outcome of an election, which under the First Amendment he has a right to do. Uh, it's amazing that in his pleadings, uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith never mentions that Donald Trump very specifically told people to go peacefully and patriotically to the Capitol, and that while the proceedings at the Capitol were going on, uh, that he called on people to be nonviolent, to respect the police, and ultimately to leave. Now, because he was banned on Twitter, we didn't, we couldn't prove that for a long time, but we can certainly prove it today. Thank you, uh, Karim, so much for your call. Folks, if you're just tuning in, this is The Roger Stone Show. We're here every Sunday from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock uh, Eastern Time. Uh, obviously, if you live in the greater New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area where I grew up, you can find us at 770 on the AM dial. Uh, but if you uh, live uh, out of state, uh, we are live streaming, I think, on in 63 countries. Go to wabcradio.com. You can hear the entire show. You can also call in at 800-848-9222. I love taking your questions. Uh, Howard in uh, New Jersey, welcome to the Roger Stone Show. Thank, thank you, Roger. Appreciate it. And I've been a fan of U.S. for a long time. So my question relates to the Electoral College for next year. Um, I'm praying, like a lot of us, that uh, President Trump uh, wins re-election. But in looking at the last election, he had 232 electoral votes, okay? It, even if you add the 16 for Georgia and you add Arizona 11, which to me is questionable now that you have the Democrat governor of Arizona, that only gets you to 259. And I'm wondering where he's going to pick up that other 11. Normally, you look for Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, but they all have Democrat governors there, and they they all will be willing to count votes well after the election. So, uh, I mean, I, in Pennsylvania, I think even if every registered Republican comes out and votes, the the Democrats can still control the voting process or the counting process. So, I mean, what's your opinion on that? Uh, you know, if if there's a real risk in that happening. Uh, there's obviously a great risk. I mean, when someone steals a car and they pay no consequences for that, what do they do? They go out and steal another car. I'm sorry, but uh, when they say that a pipe broke uh, and all you Republican observers need to leave at 3 o'clock in the morning and then they indiscriminately process 300 paper ballots that appear out of nowhere, I'm sorry, that is at a minimum suspicious, suspicious. 
So uh, I'm not ready to concede uh, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, or Wisconsin. It doesn't really boil down to all those states. It really boils down to a, uh, a, a limited number of counties where this has uh, got to be watched. Donald Trump and his campaign lawyers uh, and uh, the, the people dealing with perfectly legal technology need to be much more vigilant this time. They need to be prepared to get in front of a judge when Republican observers are told they have to leave. Uh, right now, even as we speak, uh, the Georgia State Supreme Court has ordered Fulton County to produce 150,000 paper ballots for inspection uh, by plaintiffs challenging the outcome of that election, uh, and so far the county refuses to produce them. Why in the world could that possibly be? Is it because perhaps, perhaps, they can be proven to be fraudulent? Uh, we, we really don't know yet. I continue to be uh, optimistic. First of all, I think the president is going to win by a much subst more substantial margin. This election is not going to be as close as the last one, if the last one was close. Uh, but uh, you may have some surprises. He is really definitely making inroads among younger voters specifically, uh, among African-American voters, uh, among uh, Hispanic voters. Uh, and we also have a lot of unknowns. Is Robert Kennedy going to be on the ballot? Uh, that's a very open question. Uh, we cannot assume that. I, I have a few friends who are supporting Robert Kennedy. I'm going to try to talk them out of it at the last minute and get them to vote for Donald Trump. I may be successful. I may be unsuccessful. I respect their choice. Uh, but uh, it's getting on the ballot uh, means that you have to conform to 50 different state laws where Republicans and Democrats have worked together to make getting on the ballot uh, as possible, as impossible uh, as can be, uh, because let's face it, the two-party duopoly, they don't want any competition. They don't want competition within their parties, and they don't want, certainly don't want competition from a, a third or fourth party. Uh, so uh, it is why, for example, I thought it was extraordinarily unfair that the Libertarian Party candidate uh, and the Green Party candidate despite the fact that they got themselves on the ballot in more than enough states to theoretically win 270 electoral votes, were never allowed into the presidential debates. There was actually a, a poll taken uh, two elections ago uh, when uh, almost 72% of the people wish, said they wished that they had uh, a different choice. Well, they did have other choices. It wasn't just Obama and John McCain. It wasn't just Obama and the hapless Mitt Romney. But they didn't know about it because the minor party candidates couldn't get into the debate. And then here's the, here is the, the catch-22. You can't be in the debate unless you score a certain level in the polls, and you can't score a certain level in the polls until you get into one of the televised debates. So it's, it's catch-22. Uh, I, I know a lot of conservatives, a lot of America firsters, a lot of people disgusted with the establishment leadership of the Republican Party who talked to me about starting a new party. And while on paper it's a great idea, the legal barriers to uh, ballot access are really, really formidable. Uh, if Robert Kennedy wants to try to get on the ballot, 
He's going to need 22 to $25 million, and that still doesn't guarantee it because the process and the rules are so arcane and difficult. You have to collect a certain number of signatures. They have to be exactly as they are on the voter rolls. They have to be collected between a certain uh, two certain dates. Uh, they have to have a certain percentage of them in a, a majority of the congressional districts in this in each state. Uh, it's actually gotten much harder to get a third party or an independent party on the ballot since 2012. Not easier, but harder. So at the same time, you see voters saying, I'm fed up with both parties. I don't like the Republicans or the Democrats. Uh, I wish there was another choice. The politicians, the professional politicians, make it harder to get on the ballot. All right, uh, this is the Roger Stone Show. Well, we're cooking right along here. I'm loving these phone calls. That number, once again, 800-848-9222. And we'll be right back to take some more of your questions. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. We're back. And this is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC Radio. Try to mix it up today. I usually try to bring you a couple high-powered guests and ask some probing questions. But today, because it's, it's Christmas Eve, well, I wanted to open the phone lines and hear from you. That number again, 800-848-9222. I get a few texts from people saying it's busy. Well, if it's busy, folks, that's good. Keep trying. We want to get as many of your questions in as we possibly can. Uh, Johnny on Staten Island, uh, you're on the Roger Stone Show. Oh, hello, Roger. What a pleasure to to be speaking to you. I really admire you, and uh, you make me proud knowing that you are at least 50% Italian. I'm from Puglia, but you are from Sicily. I mean, your family. So this is great, you know, for what you do, what you believe in and uh, everything that you're trying to do for, for the country, because I really believe we are in a sad, sad shape. I could never believe that a country with so much, uh, so much ahead of every other country be in this condition, starting from the top, whatever you call the president there, and uh, the ones, whatever we make believe in the state of New York, and what we have in the city is a travesty. The whole thing is all is all, all wrong. I don't understand that can be people around that believe in what they do and, 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 and all the crazy things that they support. I mean, this is for the, for the work, working people. It's, it's a disaster. 
Well, uh, uh, I thank you, Johnny, for your question. Uh, you, I appreciate your, your Christmas uh, wishes. Uh, look, uh, to a certain extent, of course, people get uh, what they voted for, uh, and they have voted for open border policies uh, that has brought a giant influx of migrants uh, to New York City and New York State. Uh, this is bursting the city and the state budget at the seams. Uh, the idea that we would have to cut uh, uh, law enforcement or cut uh, uh, medical attention or that we'd have to cut health benefits or we have to cut education uh, or that we have to cut sanitation uh, in order to provide social services to people who are not American citizens, uh, this as an issue is... Uh, the Democratic political consultant Hank Sheinkoff, who I think is a genius, by the way, he says this is a this is a toxic mix for the Democratic Party that they do not understand. I think that is absolutely right, uh, and it is uh, it is going to rock New York State and New York City politics uh, as never before. In the last gubernatorial race, uh, we came surprisingly close uh, uh, in the challenge by Republican Lee Zeldin. Uh, underfunded uh, in an overwhelmingly Democratic state, uh, ran a more than respectable race. There are actually some, show, some new polls which are more credible than the Fox poll that shows uh, Nikki Haley only trailing Donald Trump by four in New Hampshire. I'm sorry, I, that's not correct based on what I have seen. Uh, but uh, New York State could actually be in play. It's very hard for me to believe, but uh, it's entirely possible. Okay, thank you so much, Johnny. Uh, Robert from Riverhead, uh, you've been holding on a while. Uh, tell me your idea. Yes, uh, good evening, Mr. Stone. Uh, years ago, what we would do for the Seven Fishes is we would have a very good homemade bouillabaisse as an appetizer. How do you like that? Well, I, I like that. This is a very it's a very similar concept. This has got kind of a, uh, you know, uh, it's got kind of a kitchen sink feeling to it. In other words, you can use haddock, you can use cod, you can use halibut, you can use clam, shrimp, uh, scallops, calamari. Uh, you can use whatever looks freshest and best when you go to the, the fish market, uh, you want to know the truth, this whole conversation is giving me a haddock. That's an old Milton Berle joke. I couldn't resist. Uh, but uh, I have promised uh, the recipe, and therefore this would be a good time to do it. Uh, uh, I won't be bashful, folks. All of these ingredients can be found at Gristini's. Uh, but uh, your seven fish sauce, I hope you had a chance to get a pen and pencil, uh, you take two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil. You're going to need a little bit more for garnish. You need six uh, garlic cloves that have been minced. You need a half teaspoon of red paper, pepper flakes. Uh, this is optional, but uh, my mother used to, to add four anchovy fillets. You need two-thirds of a cup of dry white wine, two cups of clam broth, two cups of fish stock, uh, and then you take uh, whatever you have. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's twenty twenty five shrimp uh, heads and tails on a quarter pound of say squid uh, could be the tubes or the tentacles. 
my family, we call them the spiders, uh, but the tubes are sliced into quarter-inch rings, pound and a half of small clams. Uh, if you like a pound of mussels, although they have to be debearded and scrubbed, uh, I grab a half pound of bay scallops. Uh, uh, if you're feeling kind of rich, you can grab a pound of king crab legs uh, uh, or maybe a, a quarter pound of white a fleshy fish, again, such as haddock or cod or halibut. This is key. A half cup of diced Roma tomatoes. Uh, now, you want to get yourself a, a nice pasta. Uh, this is a pretty hearty sauce, so you could go with a spaghetti uh, or linguine. You could even go with penna, although I think I'd go with the linguine. <coughs> and a quarter cup of chopped parsley. That's it. Now, you heat the oil in a sauce over medium heat. You add the garlic, the red pepper flakes, and the anchovies. Uh, you cook uh, all of that until it is fragrant. Uh, and you are going to pour that sauce uh, over uh, your, ultimately over your meal. You add the crab, the whitefish, the tomatoes. You cook gently in the sauce. Uh, you got to wait until the mussels open. You got to wait until the clams open. It should be about five minutes. Then I add the crab, the whitefish, the tomatoes, and I cook gently. And this is the key lower the heat to maintain a simmer. You got to be very, very careful that you never burn the sauce. Uh, it's important to remember that garlic has a lower burning point uh, than onions. And therefore, if you, whether you're making a basic uh, Sunday gravy or whether you're making this seven fishes sauce, uh, if you burn the garlic, it, it, the dish cannot be fixed. You have to throw it out and start all over it. So uh, be very careful not to overcook the fish because uh, uh, it'll get rubbery. But you remove it all from the heat. Uh, you lay it into the serving dishes, uh, pour it over pasta, and there you have uh, the uh, stone seven fishes a la Corbo, the way we did it in my family. I promise that to you by the end of the show. Uh, it's kind of a long recipe. If you want to email me, email me at stone at stonezone.com. Uh, my WABC email address is still being set up, but we'll have it for you by next week. Uh, but if you want to get that recipe, you can email me at stone at stonezone.com, and I would be happy to uh, send it to you. When I said that on this show about my meatball recipe, I couldn't believe how many people wanted it. I was happy to send it out. So uh, thank you so much for your question. Uh, and... Uh, I'm glad I had the opportunity to tell people about the the Italian-American, largely Catholic tradition of the seven fishes. We still don't know where the number seven uh, came from. Uh, thank you so much, Robert, for your call. Uh, so uh, let's see. Let's uh, go to Joan uh, in New Jersey. Joan, you uh, have a question uh, right here on yes, the Rod Stone Show. Yes, if... Uh Donald Trump were taken off the ballot in any state, I happen to be in New Jersey, uh, will I be able to do a write-in for Donald Trump? That's number one question. Number two is that uh, Donald Trump seems to be, to me, uh, a modern-day Bonhoeffer who was hanged uh, for his uh, trying to overthrow the Nazis in World War II, and I think that the left would probably, if they could get away, would try to hang him. Well, uh 
Every state uh, in the union allows uh, write-ins. Uh, the question, however, is in some cases it's more complicated and difficult than others. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower actually won the New Hampshire primary in 1952 solely on the basis uh, of a write-in in the Republican primary. Uh, additionally, uh, Henry Cabot Lodge won the Republican primary in New Hampshire in 1964 over New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller uh, and Arizona Senator Barry Goldwater uh, on the basis uh, of a write-in. So, yes, you'll have that opportunity, but in all honesty, I don't think you're going to need it. Uh, I don't think this gambit is going to succeed. Uh, I, I think that, that the argument that Trump is ineligible to be on the ballot because he's guilty of insurrection there's no conviction for insurrection, so that is someone's political opinion. Uh, and he is not the class of government official who is specifically delineated in Article, pardon me, Amendment 14, Section 3 of the Constitution. So I don't think, Joan, you're going to have to worry about that. Uh, there, is a, there is a Trump derangement syndrome in the country. Uh, unfortunately, I experienced it because just, uh, just because I've been a friend of Donald Trump's for 45 years. People are, are apoplectic in their hatred of him. Uh, it is, I think, partly cultural. Uh, it's also that he just is not out of the two-party establishment. He's not part of the system, and he is a great threat to the system, uh, and uh, they know he's uncontrollable. Uh, look, I've known him a long time. Uh, what you see is what you get. In other words, he isn't handled, he isn't managed, he isn't coached, uh, he, he isn't scripted. He is very, very much his own man. That's why he became a great president. Because, believe me, after he was elected, they said to him, Oh, Mr. President, I, we know you said you were going to scuttle this Iranian arms deal, but you know you can't really do that. I mean, the deal's already made. we got to pay them the money and... We'll just trust them not to develop nuclear weapons after we give them hundreds of millions of dollars. And Trump said, no, we're not doing that. Uh, it, it was uh, the same thing with the Paris Climate Accords, where the United States would have been paying $365 million a year uh, to fight pollution, while the communist Chinese, the largest polluters on the earth, who have more coal plants than any country in the world belching carbon into the sky, they would pay nothing. <clears throat> Again, uh, Trump pledged in the campaign that he would not sign that deal. Uh, the permanent establishment types in his party tried to talk him out of it, but Trump knew how he got elected, knew where he got elected, uh, and it's why he's such an existential threat to them now. Uh, it is amazing to me that the people who are trying to lock up the leading political opponent, uh, the people who are trying to censor what you and I can say on social media, uh, the people who uh, have uh, illegally spied on at least 278,000 Americans where the FBI had uh, surveillance on American citizens without a warrant, or when they went into the what's called the 702 database to get information on over 5 million Americans, they say that we're a threat to democracy? I would say that Joe Biden, 
uh, and his agenda uh, with the World Economic Forum, I would say that they are the threat to democracy. Uh, we are for free, fair, honest elections. That's the place to fight this out, peacefully, democratically, in an election. Now, we have to be better prepared because if the election is not free and fair, then we need to take more immediate and more effective legal action. Legal action. Those who say, oh, Trump's supporters are for civil war. No, we're not for civil war. I'm opposed to civil war. I would like to have an election because I can read polling. If we have an honest election, folks, Donald Trump is destined to go back to the White House. So, Joan, thank you so much for your call, uh, and uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, let's go to uh, Xander in uh, Minneapolis. Xander, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Great. First well, of all, Mr. Stone, I want to thank you for everything you've sacrificed for this country and all of the stuff you've gone through. Nobody should have to go through. It's abhorrent and and really, as you just said, undemocratic. But I know in recent months uh, with Elon Musk and other people um, getting involved in the social media space, you've gotten some of your accounts back. So how can the people who have basically been deprived of being able to listen to what you have to say because of the censorship, how can we follow you now? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, Xander, because something very weird is going on. So uh, I am on X, formerly known as Twitter. I think I've been treated perfectly fairly there. I'm very grateful to Elon Musk for restoring my account. I was one of the first people banned. I was banned as early as 2017. Actually, no one ever told me specifically the reason or the specific tweet I put up, which got me banned, but I got banned. Uh, and therefore, I could not defend myself when I was targeted uh, in the Mueller witch hunt and prosecuted uh, for crimes I did not commit because there was no Russian collusion to lie about. Therefore, one cannot lie about something that didn't really happen. Can one? Right now, unbelievably... There is a Roger Stone up on Facebook, uh, and he uses the same picture I use on Twitter, now X. He posts the things, he, he cross-posts from my Twitter feed to make it look like me, but this person, whoever it is, is selling crypto. Uh, and this cryptocurrency allegedly has the support and backing of Roger Stone. Folks, this person on Facebook is not me. I am banned for life on Facebook. The irony here is if I started tried to start a new account, they'd probably shut me right down. But somebody is operating as Roger Stone. My lawyers have contacted Facebook. I filed multiple complaints, although not me. People who are uh, allowed on Facebook have filed complaints. Uh, and this... Uh, this operator continues to ask people for financial information. In other cases, I've been contacted by people saying, oh, I'm following you on Facebook and I want to apply for one of those jobs that you advertise. Folks, it's it's not me. So, uh, again, if you're on Twitter, X, which is, uh, which is exploding, it, it's provocative, it's interesting, there's still a lot of hate, there's still a lot of 
Uh, there's lots, a lot of vile insults, but that comes with free speech. The whole point of free speech is uh, it's the speech you don't like that you should be protected, not the speech that you do like. I'm Roger J. Stone, J.R., Roger J. Stone, Jr. Over at Truth Social, which is the platform owned by former President Donald Trump, uh, I am real Roger Stone, real Roger Stone. Uh, I'm also on Telegram as Roger J. Stone, Jr. Again, folks, I'm not on Facebook, so there's 6,000 people following a Roger Stone there who is not me. And whatever you do, don't buy anything from this person or persons, uh, and don't send them any financial information because the guy is a fugazi. Uh, how else uh, can I put it? Uh, also, if you're interested, my website, stonezone.com, you can see my daily podcast there. You can also, uh, there's a portal that will take you all my WABC radio interviews, including my interview with uh, Donald Trump, my interview with uh, uh, General Michael Flynn, my interview with Lee Greenwood, my interview with John Rich. Uh, we've had some great interviews here. You can find that. Yeah, uh, you can find a portal. Take your WABC. Go to StoneZone.com. It costs zero to subscribe. There is no cost. We let you know who our guests are going to be on WABC Radio and the Roger Stone Show early there every week. So uh, check it out. StoneZone.com. Uh, you visit the shop there. My books are available. Uh, but mostly it's videos, print articles that I have written, and, of course, you can hear this great show. Xander, thank you so much for your call. All right, uh, you in Las Vegas, uh, you uh, you don't seem to be much of a Mike Johnson fan. <laughs> well, you know, I was really excited about, first of all, Roger, let me just say I've been a fan for decades, and I'm so happy that you are still around, that you are always on top of everything, and I can depend on what you say basically to be the gospel. So I want to thank you for that. But with reference to Mike Johnson, I was excited when when he became you know, the Speaker of the House. I, I know he used to be a, a, a lawyer for, for President Trump, right? What happened? That My question is, what happened? Because with this last vote, there were more Democrats voting for it than Republicans, like a McCarthy era thing. And, and he, he Pfizer's gone for a year. we got to wait another year so they can spy on everybody again. And I, I just don't know. What, what is this guy doing? Uh, I, like you, I was uh, excited as, at his election. He did not seem to be one of the uh, the, the lifers. Uh, he had served uh, on the as a lawyer uh, on the Senate floor uh, in the delegation of congressmen who, under the Constitution, put on the defense uh, in the uh, impeachment trial. Uh, he appeared to me to be very able. The man is very clearly a Christian and serious about it. Uh, I'm much more serious about my own faith than I used to be. Yeah, I know the people over at the Daily Beast and the New York Times, uh, they're laughing right now saying that's a big joke. Sorry, I don't care what you think. I only care what he thinks. So uh, I had high hopes for him, yet uh, I, I, we still have no meaningful uh, uh, effort on our border. We continue to finance uh, the 702 spying on American uh, government, uh, on the American people by the government without any reforms. He appears to me to be on the cusp of shipping billions more to Ukraine. So I don't know uh, if 
all of these politicians, with a handful like, say, Matt Gates, who is a, truly a feisty independent, uh, get to Washington and they become compromised? I mean, between what Madison Cawthorn said before he was ousted from Congress, I think he blurted out the truth, uh, and then just this week, uh, another member of Congress came forward and said, you know, you, you're important, uh, you might be traveling outside the country, you're a member of Congress, pretty soon a very attractive person, could be a man or a woman, uh, starts talking to you. Next thing you know, uh, you have a few drinks, uh, you're naked in a hotel room, uh, and suddenly you're compromised. Now, just before a vote, somebody comes up and reminds you, that there may or may not be a film of that. Now, I was shocked to see a member of Congress actually say this, uh, but you have to wonder why why the dichotomy between the grassroots of the Republican Party, where people want to close our border, where people don't want to ship any more money to, uh, to Ukraine, uh, where people want to make sure that our veterans have the best, not the worst, the best, health care available and that they can get it quickly uh, when people don't want to borrow and spend more. Uh, there, there just seems to be a giant gap between the Republican leadership uh, and the Republican voters. The good news is that at the grassroots of the Republican Party, this is the party of America first. It is so fully uh, an America first party, and I think that will be proven extremely shortly uh, in the primaries. So um, I'm I'm not ready to uh, denounce the Speaker uh, Mike Johnson, uh, but I am beginning to share your concerns about him. Uh, I, I see him going down the Kevin McCarthy path. Thank you so much, you, for your call. By the way, one of the great uh, head fakes of all time has been this... Uh, this uh, uh, rumor, uh, or I should say fake news report from CBS that says uh, President Donald Trump uh, is actively considering Nikki Haley for vice president. <coughs> this is very clearly being put out uh, and framed by uh, the campaign of Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who appears now to have dropped to either third or fourth place in the race nationally, as well as dropping to either third or perhaps even fourth place uh, in Iowa, uh, New Hampshire, uh, South Carolina, uh, and Nevada, uh, his super PAC, by which he has been conducting his campaign with full coordination with his presidential campaign, which after 40 years of experience, I can tell you is highly illegal. Uh, they seem to have burned through $125 million with virtually nothing whatsoever to show for it. So uh, it, is, uh, it is absolutely uh, a sleight of hand. President Donald Trump has not decided uh, on a running mate, and he certainly, uh, if Nikki Haley is even on his short list, believe me, nobody at CBS knows it, but I don't believe it's true. Uh, look, there was a, yes, Reagan take, took Bush, and Bush had called Reagan's tax cut plan voodoo economics. But I don't think Donald Trump is going to take the person, A, who personally betrayed him, because she specifically told the former president, if you run for another term, I won't run. And then she immediately went out and ran. 
but secondarily, as you know, he has referred to as a bird brain. So I don't think you're going to be seeing uh, a Trump-Haley ticket. Uh, and those who are pushing this idea are trying to blow life back into the failing campaign of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, Dave in the Bronx, uh, uh, you just called into the Roger Stone Show. They listen to you, and a pleasure now to talk to you, sir. Listen, what do you think, what happened to Rudolph Giuliani with this case, and how effective is he going to be with in, in the future with Trump, with all of this? What do you think? Uh, first of all, I love Rudy Giuliani. I think he's a great man. Uh, you can hear him every weekday here uh, on WABC Radio. Uh, he reminds me a lot about Trump in the sense that despite everything that's come his way, uh, these financial burdens, these outrageous attacks, uh, all Rudy Giuliani did was faithfully represent his legal client. That's what he did. That's what lawyers do. But unfortunately, I think largely because of his effectiveness, uh, he has been targeted by the hard left. Uh, and uh, there is no question that anybody will tell you that D.C. is a killing field uh, when it comes to any Republican, uh, any conservative. Uh, I wrote a long piece, uh, which you can read at the Gateway Pundit, entitled The Crucifixion of Rudy Giuliani. He is a truly great man, and he is far from finished. Folks, thanks for tuning in to The Roger Stone Show. Now, stay tuned for my pal, Joe Piscopo, with Sundays with Sinatra. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.